Welcome to Get Set, an old girls entertainment podcast where we talk set life and stories as three women in the TV and film industry. So lately, the industry has been crazy um, with the writer's strike and potentially the impending directors and actors strike coming up. Um, all union work has been paused because of this. So today we have a very um, special bonus episode to explain what the heck is going on. Um, so on this podcast today, we have myself, Jessica. Hi. Hi, and Monique, and the very, very special guest, Lilac Mandelovich, audition coach and acting coach, who has been in the front lines of all this and giving us great information on social media. So we just want to pick our brain and, and see what's going on. First, we're going to tackle the writer strike. So Lilac, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to have this conversation. Yes, it's very important. So bare bones, right to the basics. Why did this writer strike happen and what what's going on currently? Why hasn't it ended? <laughs> all right, great. So let's get to, to the beginning. First of all, just to understand um, every three years, most of the big unions, the writers, the actors, the directors, they renegotiate their contracts with PTP, which is the studios and big networks. So we're not talking about like small indie producers. We're talking like the big ones, Netflix, ABC, Disney, um, you know, now Apple and Amazon are in the game too. So it's like all the really big ones. Um, and it just happened this year that all three contracts were expiring in very close succession. So that's not something that usually happens. Uh, a lot of times the directors negotiate their, their contracts way in advance of the writers and the actors. So part of the reason this year has ended up the way that it has is even just the way that the timing worked out with these, with these contracts. So the writers went first and they had a negotiation with PTP and it did not go well. <laughs> to say the least yeah. <laughs> yes um very much and and the writers just so everybody those who, who don't know are really asking for livable wages just not asking for the moon in the sky they're just asking to sort of get back to the standard of living that people in this industry had before streaming became a thing the way that we made money and so you were able to have a middle class um existence and and make money if you were working consistently and pretty successful now it, it's in a situation where you could be a hit show on netflix and still like barely making your rent so even people who are on really successful shows that's sort of the misnomer that's happening uh people think like oh of course you're going to be a writer and after you're going to struggle but we're talking about people who are already successful on hit shows not being able to Right. That feels like something that should be happening. Right, because right now there's no residuals for streaming. It's a it's a buyout contract currently, right? For the most part. One issue that I've been on the picket lines with a lot of writers yes. over the last few weeks, and the main aside from residuals and just main pay and AI, which we'll get into in a second, mini rooms are really the biggest things that happens both in streaming and it's it's happening also in regular networks where you used to be able to get paid a decent amount um where what they do is usually you get a big writer's room once the show gets picked up to write the whole season and now these mini rooms happen before technically the show gets picked up so it's supposed to be like oh you get to work and not have to worry about your show getting picked up but then there's only 
half or a third of the size of the room doing an entire pretty much writing an entire season oh my and the uh, network gets to decide whether they want to continue and pick it up mm -hmm. and there is no guarantee for the writers who worked on the mini room that they will continue on with the show if it does get picked up so you're pretty much doing three times the work for less pay because it hasn't been picked up yet they can pay them less because a lot of them are like writing like writing out the full series right and having like basically so that way they can do like block shooting and then they not don't necessarily have like all the writers like on set like how a normal yes so, like, let's talk about yeah so is actually being cut in half almost like like traditionally what would happen is uh the writer's room is a few weeks ahead of shooting or casting so but they're still working while the show is being produced and shot so they can have people already in the writer's room go on set while the episodes yeah. are being shot both to help the production so if they're like something happens with the location and they need to rewrite something they have somebody right there that can help with the script and it also helps it's part of the training process for new writers to get set experience because at some point they hopefully will run their own show and then they will be an executive producer and they need to know what's going on and how to make the show function um and so that was always the way that it worked that you got this experience by being in the writer's room while the show was shooting but now because of the mini rooms all of the writing gets done before anything even gets picked up or everything goes to set and so there isn't that experience of going to set um you pretty much do the mini room and then you're done and um and so that whole training pipeline has been cut off and what i've heard writers say is like now you're getting to the situation that you have these people who are getting hired as showrunners that have never set a foot on set they have no idea how to produce anything and not of their own fault. It's just they never had the opportunity that you can't just show up on a random set and be like, I'm here to learn. Um, you know, so so but then what happens is because they're they don't have the experience, then the production process gets messy and people make a lot of mistakes and networks are are kind of using that as an excuse to come and take over even more cre creatively of just like you don't know what you're doing we're gonna take more control so it becomes this like vicious cycle of because there's no training it gives room for people for their to start getting a little bit more taken over and that's good justification for the writers too is that you're going to hemorrhage money because these people don't know what they're doing so why don't you pay us properly and then you won't hemorrhage money when we're actually in production and paying hundreds of people for this day on set yes there were huge like great threads on twitter for some um some writers who were talking about how much money you can save by having a writer on set that can just make quick tweaks and save you a ton of time money setups things like that because they could uh, adjust things and all that stuff and also the amount of money that you'd save by having somebody that has a lot of set experience when they're writing the original script because they'll know what are the things that are going to cost a lot of money and a lot of time and they can avoid those pitfalls before the show even goes to production because they have that experience so it is it's very much like um trying to cut costs in the short term and totally shooting yourself in the foot in the long term for these um to these companies mm. so the lot of the writers are saying like this doesn't make sense why are you doing this it's just it's a very short cycle so that's the the deal with the mini rooms that are very much hated by most most writers and uh they're trying to bring it back to the way that things used to be and so aside from just 
um, getting paid less originally and then residuals not being a thing really anymore with streaming. The last thing, I mean, obviously there's a lot of things, but the last big one, the top three is AI. So artificial intelligence being what, like the way that it has advanced in the past, even just year, has really put a lot of creatives in this place of we need to have some sort of protections in place and contracts. Otherwise, this is an existential threat because it's very much maybe AI can't write an entire um, TV show right now, but they can definitely produce a first draft. They can definitely do um, take over the jobs of some like the writer's assistant or the people who are just starting out. Um, and and so they get that distraction training, then these people don't get training to move into the big rooms. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, it, it'd be very easy to sort of say, oh, you're already working with like four writers in this mini room. Now let's do two writers in AI or something like that. And you guys can have the AI write the, the rough draft for you or whatever it is. And then the human writers finesse it and make it better. But also down the line, I mean, that, just because it can't do a full great script right now doesn't mean that that will be the case forever. These things are growing exponentially. So we just need to put some some protections in place ahead of time, because once once the technology reaches a certain level, there's no putting that genie back in the bottle. That's honestly yeah. terrifying. Yeah. I think so actually to, to so the reason the talks didn't go well is because the writers were asking for these very reasonable things of like, can we still even if you're successful and actually working, can you actually make a living in this industry and not have an existential threat? And the PTP came back with like just an insulting, pretty much. Um, in the negotiation, the WGA released all of their and the responses that they got from AMBTP. And for example, on AI, asking for some guardrails and protections that AI won't replace human writers. Um, AMPTP pretty much said, uh, we're willing to give you a meeting once a year to discuss the development of the technology. Once a year? Once a year, a meeting, not we'll like, like, discuss it. discuss. Yeah, it's like, let's discuss this every year. We'll, we'll, we'll talk like, about this advancing. Yeah, which could look like, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, we recognize it, but thanks for good discussion. Yeah. We they don't want to hit their uh, technology they could take advantage of. So they were pretty much just like it was a non-starter. So there were a lot of things like that where they pretty much refused to even negotiate on the asks. And so when they revealed that, when the writers went on strike, they showed pretty much all their work. Like, this is what the negotiation ended up in. This is what they try to give us. This is why we're going on strike, which was really helpful for other unions and also for people to understand how far apart they are. Um, that was kind of a shock to a lot of people. We we really thought that it wasn't going to be that huge of a delta between where um, the writers and the and the studios were, but this made it clear to everybody, and especially SAG. Um, that this is going to be quite a fight and, and it's something that we can't back away from and we can't just really say, oh, okay, you know, we'll let them have this one because unlike previous years, there's a lot of, like I said, existential things in these conflicts. Right. And that brings me to where SAG is with yes. their negotiations. Um, so they're asking for very, very similar things, right? If not the same in some cases. 
so with AI and residuals and payment for streaming, they're very similar, especially the streaming and residuals. Um, it's like nobody's making money off of streaming right now. Yeah, right. Except and even with them, it's it's yeah, the whole business model sort of took off and took on a line of its life on of its own and nobody adjusted to this new whole paradigm of the way that the industry works. And so this is just about us touching up with what's already happening. Um, so residuals and payment for, for streaming is very similar to what the writers are asking. Um, right now you can book a guest star on like a Netflix show and it pays significantly less than a guest star on a network show. So if you're doing something on Netflix versus ABC, for example, it's a it's and, it, and it's a, a huge difference. It's not like it's like a few dollars less. Is it like that new media? Like, is that why it is? Okay, so the difference between like these legacy studios versus new media, what what's the difference? I mean, if it's a regular TV channel, right? Like, if you turn on ABC when you're watching. <laughs> Some reason this is us came to mind, but yeah. like that shows Oliver now. But you know, yeah. like if you're watching one of those shows on a television channel, um, that's that's sort of classic network TV. Right. Anything that is only on it, right? Like Netflix doesn't have a, a TV channel. It's right. Hulu is only on an app. Any one of those things, and then a lot of these bigger studios now have their own streaming channel, which right. is also part of the problem. For example, if you're doing um, a show for CBS, which is a regular network, they have this Peacock thing. So they have the, they have the streaming version of their platform. And so what used to happen is, let's say you were on a successful show like Friends, and then you got paid for your work when you shot it. That network sold the rights to air the episodes to a different network, and they made a bunch of money because they leased this uh, property from them. And so as the actor, every time an episode is showed, you would get a little cut of it because the people are making more money every time. So you get a little a little bit. Um, and now what's happening is, so it used to be, you would know a percentage of what you were getting because that's what the network got paid by the other network. Right, and you get so, a percentage of that. Exactly. Now what's happening is a lot of networks are selling sort of the, the streaming rights to their own streaming service. So they're pretty much selling the service, the product to themselves. And so they get to say, oh, we only got $100 for this show. So you get two cents, right? So and they get to set the price because they're selling it to themselves. Because the money's just going to go to them anyways. Well, that is some really backdoor stuff. Yes, and because it's streaming, there isn't like a rating system the way there is with regular TV where you can point to the numbers and say, look how much uh, views we're, you're getting from us, look how much money you're making from us, we deserve X, Y, Z. With streaming, it's very opaque. You can say, oh, this is top 10 uh, trending on, on Netflix, but you have no idea how many people are actually watching it. Like, However, I understand because like clearly they get those numbers, from, like they know they the reason. But there's no requirement for them to share it, and right? It's, like it's, this, not, it's a contract issue. But it's, again, from new media, like that just because it's under that. So why are these like still under new media whenever it's not new media anymore? It's like, it's properly like the way of it now, the way of the yeah. world. 
these are contracts that were negotiated when it was relatively new and, and they were like, oh, we don't even know if this is going to work. So it's yeah. just, it needs okay. to have some like, you know, some looser guidelines. Yeah. And then, so a few things happened is that, first of all, the pandemic also mm -hmm. was part of the problem because the last time we renegotiated a contract was 2020 and there was no way to get anything in those negotiations because there was no work for anybody so what are you going to do strike during a pandemic like right. there was no way to get anything there so it's almost like we got pushed down the line and only now we have enough leverage to even get any anything from the studios but, so that was part of it is this should have been dealt with like three to six years ago but all these things kept happening just pushed down the line um and really if you think about it like six years ago streaming to regular networks was very different than what it is now mm -hmm. so so it was partially just like bad timing and partially um people not sort of caving in a little too soon honestly and 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 not seeing the writing on the wall of where the industry is headed so there was there's a lot of factors but what's in the past is in the past so right, right. um we can focus on what it is now everybody knows like you said that now it's a it's it's a totally different world and this is not new by any means and so streaming to, they pretty much are trying to get streaming to come up and be more similar to traditional um traditional tv traditional productions right. um it's not exactly the same because because again the residual checks for example it is like one percent of what people used to make it's not a small in in your income it is a huge huge difference there was uh one of the series regulars on what was it orange is new black and she was showing like receipts of her residuals and she was in this show that was a worldwide phenomenon and she was making like 27 dollar residuals versus you know you go on a network show and and you can make thousands of dollars in residuals yeah. and so it's it's it really is a difference between making thousands to $27. And results so. are so important too for those who don't know because because like these shows are so like temporal like they have seasons there means there's like time that these actors and these writers are not ha are not in work you know you don't typically right. go from like one week doing you know a show and then that one's done and then the next week you're following up with another show you usually have a little bit of time off um just like finding another because you have to find another job you have to find another like and so it like allows you know a little bit of cushion a little bit of like you know security in in funds to be able to like find that next thing you know especially if we're talking about class versus like you know the big big stars well and correct me if i'm wrong but sometimes you're in a contract and you're not allowed to find other work right if you're a series regular for a show you might you'll you might be allowed to do guest stars on something but you can't be a series regular on a second network show right right there's there's a lot of contract things that you have to yeah you can might be able to do like a movie that doesn't conflict and you have to um you know your show that you're on would be in first position that means that if the schedule conflicts with whatever you wanted to supplement uh during your hiatus then um if it conflicts with the schedule then you can't take that other job like it just precludes you from it so it does make it a little tricky even when you have the time in between of you're limited in what you jobs you can take and it is the same for like writers they might try to do another thing on the side in between 
seasons, but if it conflicts with what they're doing right now, they may not be able to. Yeah. So, so yeah, so residuals have always been the way that people sustain themselves through mm -hmm. the lean years. And for those who are newer to the industry, like it's just to understand, it's not like, oh, you did this job one time and you expect to get paid forever. Every time that episode gets shown again, the people showing it make money. So whether they're making money off of advertising that happens when a rerun happens, whether it's because they're getting into a new market like Netflix or they're, you know, people are excited to watch this show now that it came to Netflix. So they're going to sign up for the subscription. It's, it's like the people who are showing these episodes are making money every time the episode airs. And so it just makes sense that the people who created the show would get some sort of small cut out of the money that's coming in. So it's not like, you know, you did a job and you expect to get paid in perpetuity out of the initial amount that was made off of that movie, off of that TV show. You're getting paid from this new income stream that's continuously bringing in money. Right. So this is just cutting off all the creative people, the directors, the writers, the actors, from this new income stream that now is going purely to the studios. So wow. And so so the writer strike has been going on what for two and a half months now, almost three months? Since oh, oh since May. It started at the beginning of May. So it started. So we're a month. Yeah, so a month and a half, pretty much. Or yes, yeah. it's we're at like six or seven weeks, something like that. So mm -hmm. and we just voted on the SAG AFTRA to whether we vote or not, which doesn't mean that we will strike, we probably will, but they put it to, you know, the members and said, do you, if, you know, if we suggest that we strike, do you, are you guys in favor of it? And we voted. Um, what? Let's talk about that for a second yeah. of just the, the big things. They didn't reveal everything that they're trying to negotiate for because they were trying to be strategic, but definitely how AI affects actors, which is different than how it affects writers the residuals and the income for streaming, and then a lot of things around um, restrictions or a little bit regulation around self-tapes that have become um, the new normal, but there isn't anything sort of regulating them. So sometimes it's a little bit of the Wild West. You can yes. have some offices that ask you for a very reasonable amount and they give you a reasonable turnaround time to put an audition on tape. And sometimes it's like, you'll get a commercial that wants you to produce an entire short film in like five hours. So yes. there has to be some sort of guardrails to protect actors from being exploited in that way. So that was part of it. There's a bunch of other things um, about health insurance and, and background, actors, but those were sort of the big three that I kept hearing about is streaming and auditions, sort of getting some details out there. And so the reason we did a strike authorization vote is because the negotiators are not allowed to call for a strike unless the members give them permission. And so that is a tool in negotiation that you want to have because that's the only leverage that a union really has is to withhold their labor. And so if they don't have the permission to call for a strike, it's pretty much MPTP can be like, what you going to do if we don't agree to your terms? You can't do anything. You have to. And then really the, the trick there was, if they didn't get the strike authorization, the only two options would be take whatever deal that the, the studios offered or be forced to continue working on the existing expired contract for the indefinitely until a new contract is signed, which that contract is the one that is screwing everybody over. So that was sort of a one 
Okay, so we're very happy that we got a very high turn turnout, and it was like almost ninety eight percent yes for strike authorization. It was the biggest turnout SAG has had in years because usually we're a very low turnout union. I got goosebumps. That's so great. Yeah. 65,000 people voted. So it's, um, you know, so 98% yes. So everybody that's paying attention is really understanding that this is an existential fight and we have to stay strong with it. And so there might be a strike. We don't know for sure. We're hoping that by saying such a strong yes to strike authorization, that that makes it clear to AMPTP that we are willing to strike. And therefore, hopefully they'll see that they have to come to the negotiating table in good faith and not treat us the way they treated the writers, but, but there could be a strike as well. The good thing about it is that because the writers are already on strike, it does help that we have multiple unions giving each other support and backup and solidarity. It would make it easier for everybody to get a better deal versus if just one union was striking on their own for the foreseeable future. So if we have to strike, we're hoping that the power in numbers will mean that the strike will take will last too long. As we wrap this up, maybe I think it's important for people to know the significance of crossing a picket line for any strike and mm -hmm. what that means. And maybe if you could talk to us a little bit about um you know, why every job should be a union job instead of working non-union or maybe being FICOR, which some people, you know, it's their personal choice. But um, yeah, if we could talk a little bit about the significance of a union in general and supporting a union. Yeah, um, I think specifically for actors, which is where most of my expertise is at, it's very important to be supportive of the union just because there's other jobs in this industry where you could have a career working in non-union. My husband's an editor, for example. He's non-union. He's got work all the time because there's a lot of things with editors that you don't have to be union to get bigger paying jobs. When it comes to acting, that is not the case. The only jobs, like if you want to be on a TV show, if you want to be in a big movie that's in theaters, if you want to do anything that's like making acting a real career for yourself, all of those jobs are union. There is no way to be a successful actor in the union. Just doesn't exist because those jobs that you really want to be in, they're all union. The only thing that you can really make good money on that is not union is commercials, but even those are kind of exploitative a little bit. With yeah, the residuals don't match up, and it's a lot of the times a buyout. So you're like two thousand dollars in my pocket, but it's like people can make sixty thousand to a hundred thousand dollars on a successful commercial. Versus exactly. 2000. Yeah. yeah. It's the kind of thing where when you're new and you're starting out as an actor, that sounds like so much money, especially when, when, if you haven't had the experience to know how much people get paid for a union commercial and stuff like that. So, so it's very easy when we're new and we don't know as much information to feel like, oh, this is great. I'm getting paid to act and I'm getting paid $2,000. That's amazing. For one day um, of work, maybe. <laughs> exactly. But it's just, and it feels like, oh, making, like you said, 50 grand on a commercial sounds like for working one day sounds crazy. But at the same time, again, remember, this is where all the money is for these companies. These are giant, giant companies. And they are just like, they want to throw the money out there to get their product out there. And so the money exists and the money is there. It's just um, 
you know, it's about who gets it. So the amount of money that these companies are spending is about the same. Is the question like, does it go to the people producing and creating the spot or is it going other places? Um, or the people who are kind of producing it or, or the, the ad agencies or whatever it is. So there's there's a lot of other places where where the money goes when it doesn't go to the creative side. And like we've already mentioned before, I mean, just because you're making this amount of money, you are under contract. So like if you, if you work a Honda commercial, you can't work a Toyota commercial that day. So that $50,000 is supposed to cover you because you can't work another car commercial for one or two or, you know, years, depending on what your contract says. So you are, you're blocked from working any competition. So you can do like a makeup commercial and a car commercial, but you can't do two car commercials unless it's the same brand and they approve you and there's a whole thing. So yeah, so it does make it very restrictive. So the point is that specifically for actors, there the way that they like to talk about it in SAG is there aren't really like union and non-union members. There are union and pre-union members because yes. if you want to make in your career, you will have to be in the union at some point. Yes. So it's very just the whole short-term gain versus long-term investment of people understanding that crossing a picket line, for example, or taking on... Now, listen, if you're a new actor, you're just non-union yet, you need to work your way up to being union, obviously you're going to take non-union jobs. Like, that's just the way that the industry works. You, you got to you have to qualify for the union. Right. So I'm not talking about the people who don't have a choice but to take union work. We're talking about the people who are either eligible to join SAG or people who are our union members and decide to cross the picket line or take non-union work while they're in the union, that is sort of cutting off your nose to spite your face. Um, because if you know who does that, like who crosses a picket line, and that will make it pretty much hard to possibly impossible for you to either join the union or come back if you left. For example, you're talking about five course that's financial for for people who are struggling getting union work, and it pretty much allows them to sort of step away from the union and kind of become almost non-union in every respect except for you don't have to then re-qualify you're already qualified so if you want to come back there's a process you have to pay a fee but then you can't come back. so that's what a lot of people do but that means you can't vote you don't get any of the perks of of a union member so there was an email that went out and said if you are FICOR and you cross a picket line you will not be allowed to come back um, so, which is not the case if you're just working regular non-union during a non-strike time, right. <laughs> then you're allowed to come back. But it, it pretty much is something that want to be very considerate about and very, um, really think about it of which jobs you're taking. Now, it's really important to note that this is a very specific contract. So for example, short films, independent films are not part of this strike or contract negotiation. So if you're getting... Um, jobs for a union or non-union work in that respect and like low budget kind of independent stuff that's not part of this conversation commercials are not part of this current conversation soaps are not part of this current conversation they're in a contract yeah so so if it's a union so if it, so there are still union jobs that are working right now it's just because they're not they're, they're that are not a part of this current strike possibly so 
let's let's separate two things because yes, yes. there isn't a strike yet for the actors but there is a strike for the writers yes. for example i think for the writers soaps are still within the same contract but not for the actors it's like two separate things mm -hmm. so there might be a strike right now for the writers and if you're a non-union writer you'd be crossing a picket line to work on a soap but if there is a strike at the end of the month it's not for actors and you get an audition or get booked on a soap you are not crossing a picket line because that show is under a different contract. It's not being struck. So it's just a different situation. So just understanding that not all work is is under this particular contract and just understanding that gives you a lot of leeway of what you can work on and what you can't. The other thing is that with the WGA strike, they understand that the actors, the SAG-AFTRA contract say we have a clause that says that we can't just up and strike because other people are striking meaning that we can be legally liable if if you are on a show that the writers are striking but you're the actor on the show and you decide to side with the writers and refuse to show up for work you are in breach of contract you can be sued so okay. there are a lot of actors who want to support the writers in the past couple months but they had to show up for work because they absolutely had to it's different if you're like a, a star who's also the creator of the show, who's also a producer, you have a lot more power then. But if you're just an actor, you kind of have to show up for work. And the writers get that because they understand that's power. Right. So, so if, although you're technically like physically crossing a picket line as an actor and there's like a show, you know, like the, the writer's strike is happening, you are not like quote unquote crossing a picket line, like because you still have to, okay. That's good to know. You're only crossing a picket line technically if you're crossing your own union's picket line. Okay. So once there's a SAG strike, if you then as an actor cross that picket line, now you're in trouble. Right. This is it a, a different union's picket line? So technically you can join them and help them. You can cross it if you have to. It really depends on the union. It's like very weird with all the rules. For example, Teamsters, who are about like location people and um, transportation and casting directors, they are not allowed to cross a picket line from any other union. So that's why you see sometimes videos of, of you know, picket lines for the WGA in front of a studio and a truck gets there and it just has to turn around because they're not allowed to cross picket line. They are also not allowed to join a picket line in support. They are legally not allowed to pick up a sign and help the WGA on picket line. Wow. So, versus actors are allowed to cross, but they're also allowed to join. So that's why you've seen so many actors yeah. yes. of the writers and, and like in solidarity. So there are all these different rules in the industry of each union has its own very specific thing. And so you just understanding what is required of you and what you can and can do is very, very helpful. So as far as going back to your original question of, you know, the importance of the union and, and crossing a picket line or not. So if we're talking about actors, it's just good for you to know that what's good for the union, even if you're not part of the union right now, if you want to make this your career, will be good for you eventually. And because these negotiations are so existential, it really is you want to give that union as much support as possible and not dilute the power of the strike. Because if AI starts getting used, it doesn't matter how good you are down the line. It's it's going to be something that really wrecks this entire industry. So it's something for 
starting actors and non-union actors to understand that even if you're non-union, you might want to, in this moment in time, really stand in solidarity because what they're fighting for is whether you can be an actor and actually make a living out of it if you're not like a fully A-list. Mm. Like that, it, it will be either, pretty much would be the kind of thing where you can only have a career in the arts if you come from a very wealthy family that's funding you. Um, it would be kind of impossible for anybody else to make headway in this, this town because it just won't pay enough until you're making millions of dollars as, a, as an A-list mm. person. So if you are non-union, just understanding that sometimes your interests won't align with the union, but this time it really, really, really does. So you won't be in, you know, technically if you're crossing a, crossing a picket line, it would get in your way of getting into the union down the line. Mm -hmm. So again, don't cut your, don't cut off your nose to spite your face. Um, they're trying to help you and future members as well. So once a strike is called for, for non-union actors, I would encourage them to really stand strong with the union and uh, refuse to work as well. The more pressure we put on these um, studios, the faster it will be and the more work and money everybody will have. Um, and I know we didn't touch on the AI for so I just want to like really quickly go into yeah, it. please. With and the writers, there's three main things that SAG is trying to fight for when it comes to the AI. Number one is obviously compensation. Um, you know, so if AI is copying you specifically, let's say you're the performer, but the production is allowed to use AI to change things in your performance, then they have to pay you every time. They want to make it a rule that they have to pay you every time AI is used to copy your voice or likeness. So that means that you can't just, um, they can't say, okay, this actor worked on this movie and we need to do some looping or ADR. For those of you who don't know what that is, if they didn't pick up the, the sound on set and they need to sort of fix it in, in post-production, they have you come in and pretty much just do a voiceover recording of your line so they can fix the sound. Mm -hmm. So you get paid for the day to do that work, to come in and spend your day in the booth and, and record your ADR. And so what they could do is say, okay, we paid this actor for set, but now we can just use AI to mimic their voice to do the ADR. And so we don't need to pay this actor for that day. So SAG is trying to make it a, a thing that like anytime AI is used to mimic your voice or likeness, you have to get paid as if you showed up. So because they're using your, your essence, so you should get paid. Um, and it's a very smart way that they're going about it, honestly, because let's face it, actors are not going to be the ones to stop the progress of this technology, <laughs> like the technology is going to progress, but we can make it financially, like disincentivize the studios to use it because mm -hmm. if it's just as expensive for them to have the actor come in in person and do the ADR versus using AI, if it costs them the same, they might as well just use the actor. Yeah. Yeah. So, just to make it expensive that's what they're trying to do with this contract make it expensive to use ai so the same thing happens with um synthetic performance which is ai creating their own performance from scratch that's really how it works it's really sampling a bunch of different actors work and then creating some sort of conglomeration of that and creating their own new thing so we want to create a situation where you can track what clips and what actors they drew their, you know, they were sampling as the AI. And so it went to be a thing where like each one of those people then would have to get some sort of residual, some sort of check 
for being copied off of. Instead so of just using that one person that you need. Exactly. So the idea is, okay, you want to use a synthetic performer for AI, it's going to end up costing you more than just hiring an actor. Right now, there are no protections in place. There are no laws in place, even beyond our, our industry, just like anybody, any artist, anything like AI can just take and pick and choose. And because it's so new, there are no, you know, legal requirements. So trying to put it in the contract, any union member that this um, AI serves samples off, of, they all have to get paid. And then it just becomes financially not so good for the for the spheres to use it because it's going to end up being more expensive than just hiring a person mm -hmm. so that will be the i think that's the smartest way to deal with it because you're not going to change the technology but you could just make it expensive to use and then the only people who would use it are if the whole kind of gimmick of this movie is that everybody's ai but most regular productions just won't do it because it's too expensive right and the last thing is consent which is if you do sign a contract that uses ai to help adjust your performance they want to make sure that actors have consented every step of the way because you don't want to sign a blanket uh contract that says you can use ai for my likeness and then they end up making you say and do things that you would never be okay with and you signed off your rights they want to make it as part of the um contract that Every time the AI makes you do or say something, you have some sort of final approval. Because if you're not comfortable with them doing that, that you can say. Which also yeah. makes the process more lengthy, which again, makes it not worth doing instead of, you know, just giving the actor the script and bringing them in. Right. And just to make sure that, you know, because it is, you know, people's reputations, their faces, them doing yeah. things and things that you would just not agree to do. And so you, you want to keep that power over your own liking. Well, and that would naturally happen on set. Like if you were not comfortable saying a line, you would say, no, I'll say it this way or perform it a different way or whatever, you know? And, and right. yeah. Um, so for the likeness, what this only covers people who are obviously like right now, unless it becomes, I guess, like a law, it would only cover union actors. So if someone shoots something that's non-union, um, and then later on become a union actor, would that like, would they be able to use that like um, performance from the non-union and sample it from that non-union work and then not? And the contract that they sign, which is why um, she said was, was sort of putting out in these meetings that I was in, um, pretty much letting anybody who's non-union know that they really need to be very careful about the contracts they sign when they're starting out because if the contract they sign say okay they can use ai on me but only for this particular project project for this particular purpose then they won't be able to sample it later however if you have signed a contract that allows them to use your voice and likeness in perpetuity you could screw yourself real hard um, yeah the so, words in perpetuity need to be steered clear of at all costs so and especially when you're new and you don't know all the lingo and the things and you might not have an agent or a lawyer to look at the contract for you it's just really really important to read the fine print and actually sag offered maybe we could put that in the show notes um yeah. they have an email address specifically for ai stuff 
and they are encouraging both union and non-union managers if they run across a um, a contract for a project that includes any language about AI to send it to them and they will look it over for you and they would also see if anything yeah. if there's any red flags because they're trying to make sure that it's so new and the language in the contract is so new that they're still trying to kind of figure out how to combat it, but also making sure to see what is out there and what people are trying to do with it. So um, we can put that in the show notes, the, the email address. Yes. Any other links that you're, you know, we'll definitely put the SAG after just link down there so people can go to that union, the WGA website, but any other links that you get that you think are important to provide or articles. I know you've shared them on social media too. So any articles mm -hmm. that are good for people to reference, we'll include those in the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've come, back, come out of this like with so much more knowledge. Yes. Is there... Anything else that you think that is important for our listeners to know before we think I mean, just just that we do need solidarity right now. So this is all for people. This podcast has a lot of people that are in vast arrays of, of jobs in this industry. Yeah. So, but it is it's kind of like a rising tide lifts all boats. And, a better contract for the writers will be better for actors for the actors will be better for directors for directors will be better for teamsters like everybody uh, directors producers whoever you are it's about because it's more of a general stance of do these companies see artists in our industry as an indispensable part of the process that deserves to be compensated or are we just hogs in a machine and they're just going to try to turn it into sort of gig work where you, you know, it's like the equivalent of the Uber driver of an actor or, or the director. So um, is it just all about the money or is there some respect for the art and the craft that we bring to the table? And that is really the shift that we're trying to create of like how we're being treated in general. And so that applies to everybody. So the more solidarity we can have. Yeah. And I also think, I mean, it'll lift the work itself. You know, like people actually have, time to be able to like concentrate on their art and aren't necessarily like you know worried about how they're paying rent or you know like you know scared that they're not gonna be able to pay rent <laughs> like they're gonna have time to be pay. more creative instead yeah. of yeah instead and of dedicated. working yeah instead of working two full-time or you know a full-time job and this or three you know three part-time jobs and this and I also think that like with streaming we've seen what quantity um looks like versus quality you know there's so much like media out there there's just so much of it and not all of it is like quote unquote good or like you know i mean sure some of it might be entertaining but like you come across a lot of shows that in tv and um film that's just like you know it's just kind of half half ass yeah put out there so and at the end of the day, when especially it comes to streaming, you need that hit show. You need that like really good one that everybody's talking about for people to sign on to your subscription, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so the good work is really the thing that makes the money at the end of the day. So, we're just hoping to get the studios to look at it in that way. Yeah. And you know what you said about a second job? Again, the, this uh, series regular that was on Orange Is the New Black, she was posting on social media about how most of the actors while the show was going on and was a huge hit had a part-time job to supplement their income because that's how little they were getting paid. 
So you would have multiple people who were like, oh, I had a job. I had two jobs. My my side job paid more than being on Orange is the New Black. As Which like ran a big for multiple role. seasons. Multiple seasons. And it was a huge hit. Like, yes. Flames, won awards, did all the things, right? Like, was a, a international success. So this is something where... Again, I think there's a little bit of a misconception. Um, we know that this industry is hard and people struggle and need a, a second job when they're just starting out. And so sometimes people feel like, yeah, but you're an actor. Of course, you're going to struggle every once in a while. We're talking about people while they're on a successful show, right? Yeah. Like while they've quote unquote made it, they're still struggling to just make ends meet. And so if, if there isn't that place where like, okay, once I get to this threshold, I'll be able to just live off of my art then it's just not a sustainable career anymore. And then it becomes an existential thing. Which so, also, I mean, as shows go on, their threshold is supposed to rise, right? Like once you get on your like season one, yeah, like maybe you're, I mean, this is just to simplify the the math, but like, yeah, maybe you're making a thousand bucks, but then on season two, it's supposed to like, ri like raise like however much percent. Right? It's really popular, yeah. Right, like, so, oh man, that's so, I mean, yeah, we could go on forever, but. Yes, yes. Um, uh, yeah, we've learned so much. Um, thank you to everyone who's listening and who is, you know, in solidarity with with all of our unions. Um, thank you, Lilac. You are just a wealth of knowledge. Yeah. What is your Instagram and where can people find you? Yes. So my Instagram and I should double check what it is. I think it's audition coach Lilac. Okay. So and we will um, link it in the show. L I L A C H at the end. So that's me yeah, and we'll put that email especially for the ai stuff for, mm -hmm. for your non-union peeps who need some help um, sifting through contracts with yeah absolutely cool well thank you so much um we know we'll have an episode of you on season two yes <laughs> that's gonna happen here soon yep now go get set yay <laughs> hello beautiful listeners and thank you for listening to get set the Tranquil Podcast about film and television. Not really, but thank you so much for listening. If you have anything you'd like to hear about, whether it's a industry job or a dream guest within reason, let us know. We'd love to talk about it on an episode and send us an email at getsetpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thanks.